0: Well, welcome. My name is Jeannie Stevens, and I have the privilege of being one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And it is so good to be together. And you know, over the past few months, our church has grown quite a bit. Uh, We are no longer just a local church in the city of Chicago. We are a global church with people joining us from all over the world. Uh, You know, when we used to gather, we would give high fives and hugs when we were physically in the same space. Uh, And I just uh, admit, I desperately miss those. Uh, A virtual hug is just not the same. Uh, But now, what we do is we do location shout outs each week and it is so fun to see where you all are at so I would love for you to say hi in the comments and let us know where you are watching from. Well we started a very important series last week called Enough is Enough and Soul City I just want to say to you I am so proud of you. I am encouraged that you are opening yourself up to listen and to learn and to lean into these crucial conversations that we are committed to having as a church on race and power and privilege. And you know, as I have studied the scriptures over the years, one of the things that is true of Jesus is that he is willing to stand up for injustice. In fact, he stood up so boldly that it eventually led to his own arrest, a phony trial, and a brutal and unjust death. But in the last weeks, as I have been reading the scripture, what I've seen in a whole new way is that before Jesus stood up, he actually chose to sit down. He sat at tables with people that were different from him. He sat with the marginalized. He sat with the overlooked. He sat with the religious elite, and he tried to get them to see their hypocrisy and their blind judgment. He sat with people that had a different skin color, different financial resources, and that's what these conversations are meant to do to allow us to sit with one another so that we can stand up for one another the way that God calls us to do, and specifically to stand up for justice, to stand up and speak against white supremacy, to stand up to inequality, to stand up to the racism in our own hearts and community, this city and our world to stand up boldly declaring that black lives matter, to stand up and say that injustice plus time does not equal justice. This has been a 400 year journey and beyond and there has been time and there's still no justice. And I want you to know, I love you, Soul City, and I want nothing more than for us to be changed by the transforming love of Jesus. But I wanna say this as clear as I possibly can. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If we do not get uncomfortable, nothing will change. If we don't look inside our own hearts, nothing will change. If we do not better understand the history of how we got here, nothing will change. And I know this to be true. Jesus loves us too much to allow us to remain unchanged. And as one of your pastors, I wanna say, I am willing, I am willing to get uncomfortable with you. And I have thought long and hard about this. I have prayed, I have cried so many tears and I want it to be clear Soul City Church is an anti-racism church. A- and Soul City ha- has always and will always be a church that chooses courage over comfort. We are committed to walking in the way of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John fifteen twelve, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So that means... We are going to do the deep, hard, long gospel work of loving one another. So when one part of the body of Christ hurts, the whole body hurts. You know, we are unwilling to just say that this is so sad and and this is so broken. We are declaring the whole system is broken and it was built this way. We are unwilling to say, you know, let's just be people that, that hold out and we wait for facts on things. Friends, for far too long, we have been waiting on facts that continue to come back unfair. And our black brothers and sisters are dying in the streets and saying that we're going to just wait on the facts reveals to me that we have a heart problem. I want us to have hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. And if you cannot feel empathy and compassion and ache over a man who is begging for his life, saying that he can't breathe while a knee is held on his neck. If you're holding out for facts before you are moved to say something is wrong, I am praying that you begin to do some deep heart work. You know, as a church, we are unwilling To hide behind the fear of of maybe saying or doing the wrong thing. Because guess what? If you are doing the work of racial reconciliation, the odds are almost like 100% you're probably going to say the wrong thing. And you're going to need to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to need to ask for forgiveness. And we are committed to practicing humility and grace with one another. Because that's what Jesus taught us to do. And that is why I could not be more excited about the conversation that we are going to have today. A number of years ago, actually, when I was living in Atlanta, I was a brand new mom. I was living in the South. I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And I met this incredible woman through some mutual friends named Latasha Morrison. And Latasha and I were both doing youth ministry at the time, and when we met, we formed this instant friendship. And Tasha actually asked me well over 10 years ago to play a role in her life as a mentor. And I remember us meeting at my home and we shared life and ministry with one another. And over the years, both of our stories kind of led us to new cities and new adventures, but we kept in touch. We'd see each other from time to time. But what is so cool is that in so many ways, the roles have now shifted. Tasha has become a mentor to me. And we have uh, talked for a long time about having her here at Soul City. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, I called her up and she picked up the phone and I just said, girl, <laughs> and we just laughed for a few minutes. And I said, Tasha, there is no one else I want to speak to the people of Soul City on what it means for us to be a church at this moment very moment will you come and talk to the people of soul city church and she graciously said yes so soul city will you help me welcome my friend and one of my mentors latasha morrison i I don't know how we do this virtually but you need to give a big big applause and a big (laughs) welcome tasha hi
1: hi how are you i'm doing well like i am i am here um I'm encouraged, Mm -hmm. you know that's in the midst of everything. Yeah, Um, I'm encouraged and I'm also hopeful.
0: Yeah, well, I am so glad to have you at Soul City. One day it has to be in person, so we gotta make that happen in the future. We gotta make that happen. Um, But real quickly, I know so much about you and we've been friends for many years, but I would love for you to just tell people real quickly a bit about yourself, uh, where you live, what you do, uh, and why it's so important to you to be here in this moment talking about what we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, um, my name is Latasha Morrison. I'm the founder and um, president of an organization called Be the Bridge. And um, what we do is empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And we do this um, by providing um, really what I call filling in the gaps. You know, mm-hmm. we want people to have an own wrap. To this conversation. And so we've created tools and um, um, online conversation groups and offline conversation groups and, um, you know, a youth version and all these other things to help people start this conversation, specifically help the church hmm. um, start this conversation yeah, yeah, so that we can understand ABCD, um, so that we can further understand um, some of the more difficult and complex things that um, help us understand systemic racism. Yeah. And so that's what we do. And I live here in Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I moved actually. So our, <laughs> we've kind of tracked a little bit. I moved and I started Be The Bridge when I was living in Austin, Texas. And you know, from my time there and um, just really um, the incident with um, the murder of Trayvon Martin really catapulted mm-hmm. this conversation. Um, this is conversations I've had for years. Um, I can trace the threads of this back to high school, but I only had this conversation with other people of color, and specifically African Americans. But really, the Trayvon uh, Martin situation was the catalytic, catalytic event that really um, opened up this for me to have this conversation within the spaces that I was in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I know that for you personally, it was an it was an inner shift. For you to step into the calling that God has right. on your life. And it's been beautiful to watch and to be a supporter and a cheerleader and a friend. And, you know, I, I know that you're a leader and you are uh, directing so many people in this moment. But I just want to pause and ask you, how is your heart in this moment? I mean, there is so much happening in the world. This is a critical moment in time, but how is your actual heart as we navigate these days?
1: Okay. I couldn't hear that last thing. You said navigate and then I didn't hear you.
0: Yeah. I said, how is your heart as we navigate through these days?
1: Okay. You know, um, my heart is, it's one of those things where I think in the African-American faith tradition, it's like, there's this existence of, um, Joy and then suffering, hmm. you know, they, they can, it's like, you can, you can do both at the same time. And so hmm. there's this sadness about the fact that we even have to have this conversation in 2020 and that there's so much that hasn't been done and said and rectified and redeemed in Mm -hmm. that, um, that it's, it burdens you and it, and and it saddens you that we're, we're having to prove our humanity, Mm -hmm. you know, and to explain, um, you know, um, that the situation that happened, um, the situations that happen are wrong. And, you know, having to use data to um, talk about the um, over-criminalization of of Black bodies in this country, I think that part is the sad part that we're having to convince people of that and that we're being talked about like objects in that sense. Um, But then there's this joy part where, there's this problem that a light has been shined on and sometimes there's an opportunity there. And so there's an opportunity for change. There's an opportunity to create a better tomorrow. There's an opportunity for us to build a better bridge for the next generation. There's so many opportunities for reform and just um, to see transformation that that part, um, brings me joy, but it's also begging God and lamenting that people would get it, that people Mm. would see Mm. um, that we would not let this time miss us because there's so many points in history where there were opportunities to do the right thing, Mm. to change the trajectory of this country. And there were greed and selfishness caused us not to make the right decision and we're suffering generationally because of some of those decisions made by sometimes a few, sometimes majority. Mm -hmm. And so my prayer is that the church would get it because we've been on the wrong side of history every time. If I named the, you know, through racial justice, if I named the history, you could see evidence in where the church was on the wrong side. And so now my heart plea is that church, remove the blinders, be on the right side this time, because as a people, as African Americans, we have historical receipts,
0: Hmm.
1: you know, the things that have been legal in this country. Now we look back and we see how um, dehumanized and inhumane those things were. Um, But African Americans in this country, indigenous people in this country have always said that that was wrong. Yeah. And so there's a point now we're at a crossroads, I feel, and my prayer, and I hope you guys would join me in this, is just praying and lamenting before God that we would get it, that our eyes would be open, um, that there would be transformation of heart and that blinders and scales and hard hearts would be softened and scales would fall off um, eyes because um, I don't want our story to be that um, we heard the truth. And we rejected it. Yes. And that is the story for so many, As even though as we look through biblical history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I have so appreciated about you over the years, Tasha, and I, I think some of the reason why our, our hearts have been woven together is we both share a deep love of the church. Uh, we, yeah. we long to see... The bride of Christ, the, yeah. the the local church, be all that Jesus intended it yeah. to be, and you know, I would just love to to ask you, you know, why do you think it is so crucial and critical that the local church become a bridge in the work of justice and dismantling racism in our country and in our world?
1: Yeah, because I do believe that justice and righteousness is, is a part of the essence of who God is, you know? Um, and a, a part of the outworking of that is the redemption. You know, when we think about the work of reconciliation that um, Jesus gave his life so that we can be reconciled to God and therefore be reconciled to one another. And so there is brokenness. And I think the church is critical. I always like to go back to John 17. Um, and in John 17, you know, as we, we read through that scripture, it talks about that how the, the world would know that. Um, you know, God through the love that we have for one another. Mm. And racism goes against that very love. The racism goes against the um, loving thy neighbor, the the greatest commandment, you know. Um, It goes against everything that Christ stands for, this type of division. And we have to remember that the Bible is collective when we're part of the kingdom of God. This is a collective work. It's not individualistic work. It's not what works for you and works for your family. It's about the entire kingdom of God, you know, it's about this new covenant. Mm. And I think, um, that's the part where it, I long to see the church be that witness because in that, if we get this, it is an example To other people and how Christ, how we love each other well is an example of how Christ will love them well, you know? And I feel like, you know, I always say this, that Jesus needs some new PR. You know, (laughs) (laughs) We're we're not representing well, we're divided on so many issues, but this issue on the, um, humanity of life and people, um, as it relates to racial justice and, and how that is playing out. That is a a major part of this. And um, I've always say, you know, we want to be a credible witness Mm. for God's glory. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why I do this. Like, who signs up for this? Like, (laughs) I mean, nobody, I don't know about you, but it's, like, it's not like I was rushing in line and saying, pick me, pick me. <laughs> it was, you know, all these things happen. And, you know, and I, I call Be the Bridge my accidental um, nonprofit in the sense where I didn't see my life going down this path. But when you look over my life, some people saw it clearly, but I didn't. And, um, you know. When you sign up for this, you're signing up for you're signing up for hard work. Mm. You're signing up for discomfort. You're signing up for rejection. Um, I mean, I think about you know when I had this conversation with another friend when she was trying to tell me like this is this is it, Tasha. I was like, people die doing this. Mm. You know, like the weight of this. Like sometimes physically, the weight of this, the burden of this, to try to carry this. Um, And then, um, you know, when you think about what you're you're pushing against, when you talk about principalities and and all those things that because racism is a sin, you know, this is a sin. This is a discipleship issue. And so when we start talking about those things, this is a stronghold that is not just on this country. But, you know, this goes across the globe. There's a Mm -hmm. stronghold. And so this is hard work. And so. You know, just like anyone else, you know, I like a little comfort. And so (laughs) this has been hard, but my my love for the church, um, the local church, my love for Jesus, my love to see um, people come into the body and come to faith um, because of the love that we're showing um, to one another and also to the world and being that those hands and that feet and that mouthpiece and all those things um, that make up the body. Um, That's why I do this, because it's the right thing to do. And I'm so convinced of that. And so um, that's why I do this. And that's why I think this work is important to the church, because the church in many ways is not just complicit. If you break something, if you help break something in order to be reconciled, you have to help repair it, yeah. you know? You have to be repairers of that what you've broken. And if you look at history, the Puritans, like the church was not just, when I talk about collective, the church was just not complicit. We helped create the infrastructure yeah. for what yeah. we have here today. Yeah. This racialized society was also constructed mm-hmm. by Christians, mm-hmm. or those that called themselves mm-hmm. Christians. And so um, there's some things that through our uh, theology, through our orthodoxy and through our orthopraxy that we've gotten wrong Mm. and we have to be out front and repairing that. If we say we represent, you know, uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, like the essence of who Jesus is, like if you think about that, you know, um, throughout you know, scripture. Are we, you know, um, walking in justice? You yeah. know, are we, you know, acting out love? You know, all these things mm-hmm. that we say that we stand for, are we actually doing those things? Yeah. So it's it's a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. And I want to be a part of the transformation. Yeah.
0: And I love that about you and your deep love of the church and your call to the church. And I often like to say that for every tear, God gives us a repair. Yeah. For every tear, there is a repair, and. I I so firmly believe that the repair that call is on the church right now to yeah. to repair all of these tears that have happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, you know, one of the things that I love about your leadership, Tasha, and what I love about uh, your book, Be The Bridge, your amazing organization, Be The Bridge, and now your podcast, Be The Bridge. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things that I love about your leadership is that you say that the place where we have to start is different than what a lot of other leaders might say. And you actually say this in your book. You say, if we come together in the posture of humility, we can start to bridge the racial divide. And so you really believe that the first place to begin is humility. And I would love if you would just share, what does it look like for us to actually practice humility with one another?
1: Yeah. One of the things that um, that we have as a part of our online group and also um, our offline groups is that we have uh, we tell people, especially if you're part of the majority culture, like, you know, because of a spirit, we don't have a universal experience. And because we understand how the narratives play out, we ask you to come into with this posture of listening and learning and unlearning. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, in order to listen without defense, Mm -hmm. in order to listen without trying to explain away, deflect or defend or deny, um, you have to have this posture of humility that I'm coming to this table. I'm coming into this space. I'm coming in here with courage. Mm -hmm. I'm coming in here to to better understand that I'm coming to the table probably with not with that. Some of the facts have been left out strategically.
0: Yeah,
1: We're here because of not just mistaken behavior and it just happened this way. We are here because there were strategic plans to place us here. Mm. There were strategic plans to make sure that you don't know all your history. There's a strategic plan to make sure that you don't understand like All the context, you know, Mm -hmm. of we we have deliberately done that in our education system and in our society. We've completely erased Mm -hmm. um, certain history, Mm -hmm. and so we have to understand that when we come with a posture of humility, you're saying it's like a surrender. Yeah, it's like I see the brokenness, and I want to be a part of the repair. Yeah, in order to be a part of the repair there has to be a transformation of heart. Yeah. So I'm coming I don't know what to do, mm-hmm. but I know I can listen. Mm. And there's a lot of power in that. Listening is a verb. Mm. You know, it's like it's active. Yes. And so because as you listen, you'll get the next steps and what can be done, the action to the to, to do. But if we're not listening, sometimes we start out in doing and in our doing, we make mistakes and yeah. we cause more issues right. than that were already there. And right. so, I think that's an important thing. And I think when you talk about humility, a lot of times this what's driving us in our defense is our pride. Mm. And we, you know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just just from a spiritual concept of, of of the damage that pride can do and the harm that it can cause yeah. in relationships. And so, I just really feel like. People who really get this, people who are doing well in this are able to, you know, come with a posture, with a heart that is positioned to receive yep. and not a heart that is positioned to to give or to direct mm-hmm. or to deny. Right. And I, I've i just seen that um, that when we're listening, we have a, a part of our group where if you join our online group, you can't talk for Three months. Mm -hmm. So anyone that joins our online group, there's a a moment of silence and not silence and inactivity, but silence and saying, Hey, here's some books for you to read. Mm -hmm. Here's some videos for you to watch. Mm -hmm. Here's some scholarly documents for you to read so that you understand that there's a lot of information that's missing. um, And that the thousands of people that are talking, People have researched this for years. People have lived this. This is not decades. We're talking about centuries. And so, your little Google for one day and <laughs> you feel like you have all the answers. Right, right. You know, there's a body of work here. There are professional people, educators, and practitioners that have dedicated their life to this work. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the least we can do is listen because this is the thing what if you're wrong? Mm-hmm. What if you're wrong? There's a lot to lose if you're wrong. Mm. But the fact that if I'm wrong, there's not a lot to lose because what I'm saying is to love all of your neighbors as yes. yourself. Yes. And let's undo some of the injustice that we see. Yes. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? So think about the cost of being wrong in this mm. and the 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 importance of being on the right side of, of history in this. Yes.
0: Yes. And I, uh, I just had a friend right before this, I was telling her that you and I were talking today and she said, I just joined one of the groups and I'm in three months of silence. And, um, and I, I love that you invite people into the posture of humility by listening and learning. You know, because yeah. I think oftentimes um, it is so easy for people to get stuck in disillusionment, and yeah. and what ends up happening is they perhaps start to numb out and and to deny that this is even an issue, or they get stuck in so much. Um, despair and they think there's nothing that I can even do. How can I, how can my little life make a difference? And and I know the truth about Soul City Church. I know the kinds of people that are a part of this community. We are a people of dedication. We are a people that are committed to doing justice and, you know, walking it out. Um, But what would you say to us uh, as a Mm -hmm. church on how do we start to remove the roadblocks to reconciliation in our own lives. you know as, as you said, it starts in the heart. It, it starts in yeah. here. so what what's what's something that we can each do to just start to remove the roadblocks towards reconciliation?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things um, this that's a great question. I love the way you you're asking that question because you're saying how do we Start with our own hearts. And I think that's important because a lot of people want to start with their organizations. They want to start with their churches or their communities. But really, this work starts directly with you. It starts directly with you. It starts with understanding um, terminology related to this work, understanding, you know, um, what is systemic racism, you know, understanding this construct of race. You know, I think that's important for us to understand that just like Black is a social construct and a political construct, that white is also a, a construct a political and social construct. Mm. And so we have to break that down and say, okay, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be black Mm -hmm. in this construct? What does it mean to be, you know, Asian America in this construct? Because there's, these are different countries, China, Japan, you know, Vietnam, all these things, but they're all thrown into this Asian construct. Um, And then what does it mean to be white? Like what is white identity? What is white culture? There is a white culture, but it's invisible. It becomes the norm. So I think just doing that deep work, asking the question, you know, the how might we, you know, Mm -hmm. redesigning our thinking, Mm -hmm. redesigning our narratives are really important in this conversation. Um, And then also shifting how we lead in our families. You know, I think one of the great, greatest things that we can have is proximity But remember, and I think this is important, you can be in proximity and in relationship with people and still not have change. Yes. So think about this. Through enslavement, people were in proximity to Black bodies, but there was no change in their hearts. You know, think about, you know, just even some of the recent things, a football player. He's in proximity to Black people. He's heard conversations But still, there's no heart change. So I think one of the things is praying. I mean, like none of this happens without prayer. So praying about the issues that Mm -hmm. we're seeing rather than the first thing we're doing is giving in our opinions and Mm -hmm. talking about them. But are we praying about them? Mm -hmm. Are we praying, God, show me my blind spot. Show me where I'm missing it. Show me where I've allowed... um, you know, ideology and partisanship to take root and build idols and that I'm filtering everything through that lens. Mm -hmm. Remove those blinders, you know, where I have more of a view of your kingdom and of the system that is not of this world. Right. Um, But we're supposed to be countercultural in that sense, but we reside here. We're ambassadors mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. How am I not doing that? How am I not seeing that? And I think, um, you know, how am I demonstrated one of the scriptures? I love the scripture that you read at the beginning because this I use that too in first Corinthians, you know, understanding this, this, Empathy in the sense where if one part of the body is suffering, then Mm -hmm. all the parts suffer with Mm -hmm, it, you know, mm -hmm. this collectiveness. And so um, asking God to see where I've disconnected to the body of Christ, this um, this in Canada or the body of Christ is in China or Mexico or Brazil, that when we're talking about the kingdom of God, it's inclusive, it's global. Yeah. And we have to think like that as believers. And so I think that's important that we start shifting that thinking as we enter into this conversation yeah. and it allows God to do the rest of it gives God something to work mm-hmm. with when we start mm-hmm. really owning those, those idols that we've had in our life. And I remember this and I, I want to tell this story just quickly, right? Quick, Jenny. But when, um, When we met into our friendship, there was this conversation of some things that was happening in my life. And I remember finally telling you some things that was going on. And you looked at me and you said, and you smiled and you said, you know, now Jesus is back on the throne in your life. Hmm. And you said that you had allowed people to become idols. Hmm. And now... God can do the work. And I'll never forget that. And I think that's what has happened in our country where we've um, allowed country and and and, and race um, and so many other things to take place as idols. And we're viewing everything through that belief system. Yeah. And it's time to deconstruct that, yeah. deconstruct that, deconstruct. deconstruct who we are, mm-hmm. deconstruct who we are in yeah. Christ.
0: Yeah. And Tasha, I remember that. I remember that moment and, um, you know, I I think that that deconstruction and the replacement of Jesus on the throne as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, that's always a work that we need to do. But that is especially a work that we need to do in this moment and in this time. And I know where that has led me in my life is to just plain confession like simple, yeah. simple as it may be. It has just led me to confession. God, will you forgive me? There is, yes. There are broken parts of my heart and there are broken parts of what I see and what I listen to and what I speak. God, would you forgive me? And, and I love how you say this in your book. You say confession of our entanglement and racism and yes. systemic privilege is essential for complete healing, and restoration and none of us is off the hook (laughs) amen everybody in the comments is saying amen (laughs) and hallelujah right now and and i when i read that i thought yes that is so true none of us is off the hook Uh, but i want to ask i want to press in and i want to ask a question on this what does that look like for white people what does it look like for white people to be Mm -hmm. in a posture of confession And what does it look like for black people to be in a posture of confession? Because I know you have said this to me, this is for all of us. So I would love for you to speak to that right now because you know this about Soul City. We are, you know, the United Nations here. We are a very diverse Uh church. And, And so I would love for you to speak into our body. What does it look like for us as a diverse church to choose confession?
1: Yeah, I think that's this is one of the most important parts in this process toward um, reconciliation is that um, of confession. And I think, um, you know, we inherited a mess. It's not our fault. We didn't break it. But it is our responsibility Mm. as a collective to be a part of the solution. And there's a lot of people who don't feel that way. But when I'm talking from a faith standpoint, you know, we can say, Hey, you broke it. You fix it. Mm. We can't do it. You got to fix it. But when we say that we're connected, if we're looking at, you know, first Corinthians, if we're understanding Galatians five, like we have to understand that we're in this together. Mm. And if we're in this together, then uh, we all play a role. Our roles may look different. But we play a role. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so we're all responsible for being a part of the solution. And so really a part of that is confessing and being honest with yourself mm. about the biases that you have, you know, confessing, you know, the part that you play where you didn't, you didn't break it. But systemically, you inherited a place, a, a hierarchy in this country that you have benefited from, that you have benefited from emotionally, physically, and financially in this country. These were systems that were set up to uplift some, and to actually oppress others. Those are actual systems. We had to amend the Constitution to say that um, that I was human, you know, and so we have to realize that we're not talking about a few decades of a head start. We're talking about centuries of a head start. Um, and so we have to understand that. So we have to confess, um, for, for really, um, being blind to that, you Mm -hmm. know, so whatever that looks Mm -hmm. like for you, um, the narratives that we have believed the lies Mm -hmm. that we have believed about each other and also about, um, you know ourselves, and so the way I feel like that—that um, that looks for um, white people it depends on how you were growing up. Some of you uh, were cued and inundated with, um, you know, with you know, really a lot of interpersonal type, um, you know, racism in your home. Um, some of you, you know, your parents taught you to love everyone, but you were still cued by society saying that white is superior and. Everything else is inferior. You were cued that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kids begin categorizing at three years old, you know. Um, so you were cued that way. And so I think it's just a, a a confession of that and confession in a sense like the role that you've played personal, and that may look different for each person, for a person of color, you know, that you know, when we start talking about the supremacy, because we have to understand that any supremacy outside of God's supremacy. Is an idol. Hmm. And so white supremacy is not of God. And so the system of white supremacy is not of God. And so we have to understand that it is the air that we breathe. Hmm. It is the foundation in which everything was established. When you think about every every law that was put in place, the Constitution, it did not include um, black and brown bodies. It didn't even include women in that sense, and so we have to remember that. And so, a lot of that we've also ingested. Even as people of color, we've ingested some of those um, those items. We've ingested it. And so, one of the things in how in our community that plays out is colorism. Mm-hmm. And so, I talk about this in the in the in the book about how this has separated our community because when you think about this system. This system works because it is about greed, it is about indifference, and it is about self-interest. Hmm. Okay. So greed, indifference, and self-interest. And so we have to realize we've ingested some of the that that those things because it is the air that we breathe. And so divide and conquer. So there's things in order to rule. There has to be some type of divide and conquer. And so we've been pitted against each other as people of color. Um, as uh, Asian Americans and and African Americans, as Latinx and Asian Americans and and African Americans and black people and and indigenous people. And so even when you talk about the 40 acres in a mule, I mean, think about who land was stolen in order for you to even get 40 acres in a mule, which we didn't get, but I'm just saying, like, think about that. So you have these layers of anti-Blackness. And those are things that we have to repent of in our community, repenting of um, um, colorism and thinking of ourselves as less than and inferior Mm. into into, um, how God created us. And so I think there's so many layers and I think it has to start with you personally, knowing where to start and how, and what you've ingested, what you've, played over in your mind, the narratives that you pointed out, um, being open to seeing your prejudice and your biases, because if you have a brain, you have a bias. Yeah. Okay. So we we all have a brain. And if you were raised in America, you were raised in a racialized society. So you there are racial biases that you have. So the the, the thing is, the great thing about this is that if you learn something, you can also unlearn it. Yes. And so there is hope for us all yes. and shifting our perspective yes. and changing our narrative yeah. to that is, that is more godly mm. and more dignity um, mm. that brings dignity and flourishing, not just to some, yeah. but to all. And that is the way forward in mm. this.
0: Well, Tasha, I love the ways that God has used you uniquely in my life to help my unlearning. Yeah. You've been a, beautiful professor in my journey of unlearning and I bless you and I thank you for that. And, you know, we've, uh, known one another for a long time now <laughs> and, you know, we've talked a lot about leadership and what does it yeah. mean for somebody to step into the, the mantle of leadership, the responsibility of leadership. And I know that as I am entrusted with this humble honor of leading this church. I want to give you an opportunity to lead me in front of the people of Soul City Church. And I want to ask you, how would you lean into me? What would you lovingly say to me as the pastor of this church? Um, As we step in, as we listen, and we learn, and we lament, and we leverage, how can I best lead this
1: body? Yeah. I think the best way you can lead this body is by leading yourself and your family. So making sure that you're embodying this work of reconciliation that you want to see in the world and also within your church, because people would see that. And so you do this in the way of what are the things that you're deconstructing in in your life? How are you exchanging power? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you elevating um, and amplifying the voices of people of color, the, the, the voices that have been marginalized? How are you making room? How are you shifting structurally um, within your church to make room um, for those that maybe have who haven't been given opportunities? Um, you know, one of the things I always tell pastors to do is, you know, talk with the people of color in your church sit down with them don't don't have a series of questions have someone else there to mediate but don't talk hmm. don't talk and uh, and just listen to them and find out about their experiences Find out how, because there's things that you don't see as a pastor where you, sometimes you feel like these things are happening. This is, this is, um, um, this, these conversations are happening that nobody in our church would ever harm someone else. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you don't understand like, you know, some of the, um, I would say microaggressions and macroaggressions Mm -hmm. that are happening at different levels where Mm -hmm. some people feel shut down or some people feel unseen or like they don't belong. And sometimes we don't even understand when our biases are at play. And so I would would say, sit down with a group of um, people of color in your church, um, specifically uh, black people in your church and see how... How do you see this? Mm-hmm. What are some things that you feel that we can do better? What do you need to see? What do you need to see from us? How might we make you feel like you mm-hmm. belong? How might we do this work of reconciliation mm-hmm. better? And I think being brave enough and having enough courage to really be able to ingest that and creating that um, that um, that environment for um, people of color to be brave with you, I'm telling you that is life giving to us mm-hmm. when we're invited in and we're not judged and it's not held against us when we say something that you don't like, you know, so be open. And that's where humility comes in. Where I say you have to lead with humility in this, um, that takes humility for people um, to say something because a lot of things that people may say, it may not have been your intent, but there may have been blinders yeah. and the impact is is what they're talking about. Mm. And so, but also as you hear, be in position to say, we want to change this and we need to link arms in this in order for us to change it. So mm. that's what I would say is lead from your family, lead yeah. from your personal life, lead from your family. And in that leading out, let that transcend into your church as it relates to power mm. dynamics.
0: Mm. Thank you, Professor Morrison. i am so grateful for you so grateful for your voice in my life so grateful for your friendship so grateful for this incredible book uh so grateful that you were courageous enough to write it so grateful for what be the bridge is doing in the world and when we were talking on the phone i said tasha i got this crazy dream and you're like oh genie (laughs) <laughs> uh, you and your crazy dreams. And I said, no, I've got this crazy dream. I want to see the whole church go through Be the Bridge. I, I want yeah. to put this book in every person's hand. And you said, yep, that's a little crazy. And we've been working behind the scenes the last... Um, Last week or so, and I think we did it. We had a, a, an incredible donor step up and say, I'm, I'm ready to do it. Let's put the book in every person's hands. And so I'm so excited. All of Soul City Church is going to go through this book. Uh, in a yeah. minute, I'm going to tell them about how they're going to get this book and how we are going to be a bridge building church Uh, But I want to bless you and say thank you. And I am so grateful that God decided to weave our stories together so many years ago. I'm so grateful for your friendship. I'm so grateful for your prophetic voice. I'm so grateful for your courage. Uh, And thank you for speaking in to what God is doing at Soul City Church. You are a gift. I love it. And
1: one of the things that I will do, Jenny, um, in that, and I haven't done this with any other group, but I'm going to send you um, a portion of a chapter on on justice that was not included in the book. So
0: this is like an Oprah moment, Tasha. You've given everybody gets a chapter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm gonna send that to you so you and Jared can lead mm. and um your leaders can lead um just give you a, a little yeah. extra tools um you know when we start talking about justice and what it means and its role um in our theology and I think that's important I love that. and yeah and so i'll I'll Thank send you. that I'll email that to you um um later on and so that's mm. something that you can kind of guide people I love it. um through I so love it. Um, so we well, can do that. we
0: love you, Jared, and I love you. Our kids love you. I'm sending you a big <laughs> virtual hug. And I would love for you, if you'd be willing to pray for our church as we step in to be a community that says we want to build a bridge.
1: Yeah, yeah. God, this is such a full circle moment, Lord. And um, we know that you love your the church and you love your body and you love the people that make up the body. And I pray father, that even the words that we spoke today would fall on good soil Lord God, that they would take root Lord God, and they would give life Lord God. And that life Lord God would reproduce Lord God and grow and continue to grow Lord. So I pray father, that even as you remove the scales from um, the eyes of those that are listening right now, Lord God, I pray father, that you would uproot Lord God, um, any dissension in your heart, Lord God, that, um, any things that, Lord God, that do not, um, um, represent who you are, Lord God. Things that maybe they don't even know this. There, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would shine a light on it, Lord God. That we would do the work in our lives first, Lord God, so that we can do the work in the world, Lord God. So that the places that we intersect, Lord God, would be changed forever, Lord God. Give us eyes to see your kingdom, Lord God. Give us eyes to see your glory, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you would begin to transform this world, Lord God. That you would begin to transform, not just Soul City Church, but Lord God, the communities that surround um, Soul City Church, Lord God, the the communities that intersect and the um, businesses that intersect with Soul City Church because of the work of reconciliation that you're doing, Lord God, in their lives, Lord God. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for this, this opportunity to make it right, Lord God. We thank you for this opportunity to repair that which has been broken, Lord God. So we thank you, Father, for um, the grace and the gift that you've given us of a second chance, Lord God. Allow us to see it. Allow us to see you in the midst of this. And thank you for Soul City Church being courageous enough to step out into the discomfort, to step out into this tidal wave, Lord God, and say, here am I, Lord, send me. So we are grateful for that, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for the boldness that you've given them. In Jesus' name, go before them, Lord, take up the rear, hold our stand beside us in the midst of all this happening, Lord. Give us the strength to endure when there is resistance and rejection. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen.